Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about how we should treat each other in church. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to tell you about a big change that has taken place in our church. Our Sunday gathering has moved from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. You heard that right, 4 p.m. There are several reasons that we decided to make this change, but let me just tell you one. We now offer the only service in our city that isn't on Sunday morning, which gives people that have work on Sundays or other things going on an opportunity to go to church. A pastor friend of mine said to me not long ago, if you want to reach people nobody else is reaching, you have to do things nobody else is doing. And it is our hope that moving to 4 p.m. will give an opportunity to help new people experience and express God's glory. If you are in our area, we would love for you to try out our 4 p.m. service in person. If you aren't in our area, we'd love for you to watch our service online at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I think this can be a perfect way to end the weekend for those of you that listen to this podcast and are on the East Coast. For more information either way about our Sunday gathering, please visit wilsonville.church Sundays. That's wilsonville.church Sundays. Again, thanks for taking time to listen to this sermon. I hope that it'll help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. First, I want to say thanks for coming out today. Uh, it is 84 degrees in here in this sanctuary right now. So you are the real troopers. I won't tell you. I will tell you. I'm going to tell you that Daniel, who is just right here, uh, I said, I don't think many people will come out to church today. And he said, I hope not, because it keeps it cooler. if People don't come. So Daniel didn't want you here, but I, I am happy uh, that you chose to come out with us this morning. Uh, I really do, as Vanessa just prayed, think that church is a gift. And we're going to continue to talk about about church today. And I want to start with just saying that, uh, you know, I love, and I think that we all love this, we all love, I think, being invited to participate in different things. Now, I am somebody, if you don't know me well, I'll just tell you, I don't like to do hardly anything, but I love being asked to do things even when I don't want to do them. And, and maybe you're the same, maybe you love doing everything, maybe you, uh, you know, like doing things here and there, but I think we all can agree that we, that we do like being asked to participate. We love when people invite us to their birthday parties. We love when people invite us out to dinner. Even if we think, oh, I have to go do another thing this week, we still somewhere inside of us think it makes us feel like they like us, like they care about us, all, all of these things. And, and here's, here's uh, kind of my conviction this morning. Um, when it comes to church, I think that, that invitation to participate uh, is really as is key or more key than than almost anything else that we do. I mean, I don't believe that websites or live streams or social media programs or our incredible staff or the you know correct liturgy or whatever it might be uh, is as important as as what we're going to see in this passage of scripture. And and this passage of scripture, I think, uh, suggests that it is important to invite people to come along with us. Uh, in church. That's, that's what we're going to see today. And uh, here's, here's what I want to do today. I'm going to read the entirety of the passage. There's a lot of names. We're coming to the end of the book of Romans. We've studied all the way through it. Next week's our last week. We started way back in 
I think October, and next week will be our last week going all the way through the book of Romans, and here Paul's kind of wrapping things up. If you ever read through the book of Romans, you probably skipped, you know, right through Romans 16, the last chapter, and thought there's a bunch of names. Last week I messed up a name of a city, and I'm going to try not to mess up these names, but you probably won't know if I do, so I'll just read them fast and we'll just keep going. Uh, But there's a ton of names, so I'm going to read through the whole thing. It's pretty long, 16 verses, it's 84 degrees on the stage, Uh, and and so here's, I'm going to give you, I'm going to, this is your game for you right here. This is what I want you to try to do. As I read all of this, and you're barely paying attention, uh, what I want you to try to do is I want you to try to pick out two things as I read through and see if you can just, you know, make your own sermon in your head or whatever. The first thing I want you to pick out is just this. How does this inform us about how Paul thinks of church? The author of the book of Romans, name was Paul, and and he writes this letter and and at the end of it, he's kind of bringing up some church stuff. And, And so how do these 16 verses kind of inform us about what Paul thinks about church and what church ought to look at? And the second question would be this. You got that question? Everybody with me? Got that question. The second question is, can you find anything in this, in these 16 verses that, you know, on first glance just look like just kind of a goodbye, basically? Can you find anything that if I didn't preach this sermon, if I just read it to you and we all went home, that you could apply to how you do church? So how does this inform us about Paul's view of church? And then is there anything that you can find uh, as, as you read this for, you know, just application for your own life, just quickly, without any explanation. And so here's, here's how it goes. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sincre. I ask her to receive, ask you to receive from the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets in their house. Greet my dear friend, Apenitus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet, this is where it gets tricky, Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ. And greet my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Patrobos, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Oh boy, Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and the Lord's people who are with them, greet one another with a holy kiss. You don't know if I did well, thank you. I did practice ahead of time trying to go through those, but it's a lot to memorize just the names. But here's, here's the deal, if you were paying attention, there's a bunch of greetings, right? But I think, I think it is so much more than just a series of greetings when you, when you consider the context and the language and the specifics of the passage. So I want to hit on just a few random things from this passage that I think are interesting and helpful. And then I, and then I want to hit on one big important thing at the end that I think is, is really at the heart of not only this passage, but, but our entire series. 
I think it's the unifying theme of what we've done here. It's the title of this sermon series, and I think it is of, this is what's key, the utmost importance to, to church and how we do it. So uh, the first thing is just, there's a bunch of names. You heard them all, right? It's just like a giant name festival. It's a weird thing to say, but, but in these names, there, there's actually some history, and, and some of this is uh, tradition and, uh, and, and you're, some conjecture and some, you know, a little bit of putting things together, guessing. But, but the names are, uh, there's some history. And, and for me, it makes it more interesting because it's so easy to see names and disconnect it from the entirety of Christianity and say, well, Paul said some names. I don't know who those guys are. And, and there's, a, there's a lack of interest there. But, but notice some of these things, just some of this background that I, that I stumbled upon really when studying. This one's not something I stumbled upon. But notice he mentions his first convert, convert in the Lord. I love that because if you can think about the first person that you led to Jesus, it's, it's, a, it's a moment that you, that you just don't forget. And if you've never led anybody to Jesus, I would, I would just say this is an encouragement to talk to people about Jesus, to share your faith, uh, to, to tell people about the Christian story, because it is, it is the most joy that you can feel as a Christian, I think, is, is leading somebody to Christ. And I remember for me, I, uh, I was 17 years old, and I had just become serious about my faith. And I've, I've told this story in other uh, with other topics in mind before, but I went to Hawaii on a senior trip, and we'll come back to this in a second, and then I flew to San Diego. I was, what a rough life I was living. Uh, I flew to San Diego for a mission trip with my youth group, and keep that in your heads, because I'll, at the very end, I'll come back to how I ended up there, but uh, I, I got up, and and uh, they asked me to share my testimony. I think people knew I wanted to be a pastor at that point. That was kind of a new thing in my life, and 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 somebody said, Chad speaks pretty clearly, so let's ask him to to give his testimony. And so I'm down there. And if you've never been to Southeast San Diego, which you probably haven't been, it's not the tourist part of town. It's uh, in many ways kind of an extension of, of uh, you know, the border. Uh, there's a lot of Hispanic people, uh, a lot of poverty, uh, a lot of struggles. And so I'm getting up there and giving my, my testimony. And we're, I mean, white suburban kid, you know, I mean, how's this going to land at all, right? And I, I'm not going to go into all of it, but I, I share it in a kid way, right? And, and uh, the next day, this kid named Mikey comes up to me, and a uh, Hispanic boy, seven years old, maybe. Uh, and we're in a dangerous part of town. And in this part of the story, I've told you before, we're in a dangerous part of, of the city, and we're not allowed to go outside, basically. We're like in this church doing this ministry. And I go, and, and Mikey comes up to me and says, hey, can you take a walk with me? Like, I don't think so, but I'll go ask an adult who will tell me no. That's kind of how I, I'm thinking. So I go up to some adult, and they said yes. Like, it was, it's so weird looking back as a person who's been a youth pastor that there was no argument. It was like, yeah, sure, we don't like you that much anyway. I don't know. Like, they said, yeah, go ahead and take a walk. And so I walk out with Mikey, and, and we start circling this, this neighborhood. I'm ducking or whatever. And, and he says, hey, everything you said last night, that's just like me. Like, that's so crazy. Like, what do you mean that's just like you? And, and uh, he, he said, look, look, the things you described, I've experienced them too. And, and I said, man, I'll tell you, kid, uh, I think there's only one hope for you, and it's Jesus, and told this, this little kid about Jesus and how that made everything tolerable. Um, and, and he chose to give his life to Jesus. And then that evening, his brother, Mark, he chose to give his life to Jesus. And I, the joy, my goodness, 
I've never felt like celebrating in my heart more. I remember they wanted to get on the bus with us that night to go back to Point Loma, Nazarene University. We weren't staying in the bad part of town. We were staying in the good part of town. And they were climbing on the bus, and we were cheering. And it's a moment I'll never forget because the first person that I remember leading to Jesus, and there's nothing like it. And Paul here, as he writes this, he... (laughs) Like, hey, that's my first convert there. Not his first convert anywhere, but the first convert, that's, that's him right there. And, and I just say that to say, like, be a person sharing Jesus because there's nothing like it. And it wasn't for Paul. He led so many, most of us are, well, we are Christians because of the ministry of Paul. He didn't lead us to Jesus directly, but, uh, but we are. And yet he remembered this guy. Uh, but then there's these other names where we can can get some background information, like Rufus and his brother Alexander. And uh, as you kind of read through other places in Scripture, there's, there's a very strong case to be made that these were the sons of Simon of Cyrene. Do you know Simon of Cyrene? Jesus is carrying the cross. He's going to be crucified. He's got the wood on his back. And, and, and all of a sudden, the guards, the Roman soldiers, they recognize that he can't keep going on. And so they have this guy named Simon carry Jesus' cross to Calvary for him. And, and a case can be made that these are his children. And what a story to tell, right? I mean, like, hey, my dad carried Jesus' cross. For me, that's I just, just a detail that makes like this, you know, bunch of names seem really more important. Um, and then there's Narcissus who was uh, it's believed the personal secretary of Claudius. And, and when Nero took over, Narcissus' family was taken over by him. Nero, horrible, terrible, evil persecutor of Christians. And Narcissus was forced to commit suicide. And then his family, his household that's mentioned here, uh, would, have been, would have been like slaves, basically, to this, this terrible tyrant of a leader in Rome. And, and they're Christians. And I think, what incredible hope. If this is the same family, what incredible hope that th- these people who had been high up and now are slaves, basically, they have Jesus. That's incredible. And Aristobulus, who may have been the grandson of Herod the Great, you know, the one who, you know, was running around trying to get rid of Jesus? His grandson shows up here. Isn't that amazing? The transformation, if that is true, the transform- transformational power of, of Jesus to, to have these people be listed in the church when, you know, Herod, if he had his way, would have never let the church begin. And uh, Ampliatus, who... Uh, there was this tomb found. And again, some of this is, you know, we, we can't know any of this for sure, but, but these are the types of stories that, that God produces within the church. This, there's this tomb found in ancient Rome, and it's interesting because there's a single name on it, which would normally imply a slave. There's a single name, no inscription, whatever, and, and this is the name. But yet, it is decorated. Like, it's, it's beautiful, it's ornate. And, and so some have wondered through the years... I think it's a great thing to wonder if maybe, as Paul mentions this guy's work in the church, if maybe he was a slave, but his Christian ministry was so valuable to people that when he died, the leaders, the Romans around him, they said, hey, he needs a great gravestone because because of the work he did in our midst. And I think about that power, God just turning, you know, turning slaves into free men and, and, and just 
using people who were the least of society, who people would have kicked to the curve and never thought another uh, curb and never thought another thing about, and yet God maybe was using this guy to influence people so much that that he was buried with respect and honor. That's that's what can happen in the church. And I just think that all of there's others, but I think that these these stories, they make this more interesting, if nothing else, but they make it more real too. It's not just some ancient names, but these are people whose lives were changed by Jesus, but, but whose lives were changed through the institution that God created that we call church. Church matters. It influences both the, the high up in society, those who are working in the household of emperors, and, and also influences the, the lowest of society, those who have no freedoms, no rights, because they're slaves. It demonstrates how important church is, and it also demonstrates the power of God within his church when we think about who these people were. The backdrop of all this is horrific persecution. Persecution. We think, we, oh man, so many Christians are looking around in our nation today and thinking we're doomed, it's over, the church is going to die and all of that. And, and here we are in, in a world where Christians were being slaughtered, or they would be soon, and yet God's power was alive and active through the church and lives were being changed. There's this, this thing Jesus says, the, the gates of hell will not overcome the church. And sometimes we can feel like that's wrong, but when we look at this list of names, we see that it is true. The gates of hell will never, will never prevail against this thing that God calls church. Now, the second thing, that, just a cursory reading, you would, you would know. If you paid any attention, five minutes, you would go, oh, this is interesting. It's the amount of women that Paul mentions, and specifically women who are doing important ministry within the church. He greets 28 people by name. Uh, he includes mother and sister. Uh, and then there are more men than women mentioned, but this is what's interesting. More women are mentioned for their active service in the church. And I think that's interesting for a variety of reasons. One, I feel like I say this every chance I can get, but Paul and the Bible as a whole are not sexist. Like they are not uh, against women. They, I'm telling you, Jesus moved women forward more than any other person in the history of the world, and Paul is second. And that's why it drives me nuts when people come along and say, well, Paul was just a sexist jerk that didn't care about the place of women, which seems to be just a thing that's out there because people read back into Scripture our modern-day ideas of, of gender roles and things like that. But they forget that, that, I mean, the idea that Paul would come along and mention these women by name, I mean, think about this. Jesus, like, when he's talking to this Samaritan woman, if you know this story in the book of John, it's like kind of revolutionary because he's talking to a Samaritan, but he's also just talking to a woman in public. He's like showing this woman respect and dignity, and that would have been crazy. And here we are, you know, like a generation later, and Paul's talking about all these women who are doing incredible work in the church. The church has elevated the place of women. Now, some church leaders have been jerks and uh, try to oppress women and, you know, take biblical passages out of context to, I think, sometimes emotionally abuse women, to shut women up, all these things. But, 
But that's not, that's not the Bible, and that's not what the church was founded on. I was thinking, I wrote this before the Blazers made a hiring decision, but uh, just the fact, and we don't think about this because we're so you know, long later, a couple thousand years later, but the Blazers were considering hiring a woman basketball coach. And people would think, oh, that's progress in our society and all that, and that's fine. But, but the idea that, that, that women could even have that right stems from the work that Jesus did and the work that Paul did in the early church. It stems back to this, that men and women began working right alongside one another in the early church. That's the only reason that Westerners like us think that women and men are equal. That's a Christian idea. Paul, the Bible, God, not sexist, values women. The church values women, in fact, equally to men. Now, at our church, we believe that women and men have different roles, but the value for men and women is the same. Men are not inherently more valuable, more important, anything like that. Women and men are equal, and they are equal in their importance to what we do as a church. We have women in our church that we just we couldn't do what we do in church without, and we value them, and they have uh, a place at the table as far as as, as their opinions mattering and us caring about where this thing goes. And then, then the third thing, I'm just kind of using this passage at this point, but uh, in a lot of churches today, the American church, I don't think our church, I, I haven't done the numbers, but I don't know that this is true in our church, so I'm talk to people out there who don't go to our church maybe for a second. Far too often, women end up doing more of the work than men within the church. It's uh, I read this book many years ago about how men love Jesus, but they don't like the church so much. And, uh, and that's just not how it should be. And, and I'm thankful. I guess this is my thanking of the men in our church who generally step up to the plate to do the work that, that God has called them to do and sometimes to do the work that just simply needs to get done because nobody else wants to get it done. But, but the, the church is not meant to be a place where just women are serving or doing two-thirds of the serving or whatever. Men, we need to do our job in the church we need to serve. Now, here's the next thing. And this was my point last week, so I won't hit it on it for too long. But what you do in church matters. Like, you are really important to our congregation. You're really important to uh, the church. A lot of what Paul says in this passage is centered on the work that these people are doing. Phoebe, who is listed as a servant of God and a helper to Paul. By the way, it says you should commend. He says you should commend her, and we should be doing we should be doing the same for the people who serve faithfully and well in our church. Priscilla and Aquila, who had a church meeting in their house and who we read about in Acts 18.26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, that's Paul. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way, and he and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Sorry, that's not about Paul. It's about Apollos. Uh, and Apollos becomes a Christian and becomes a credible servant of God. And it's because these people, this husband and wife couple, said, come on over, learn more about Jesus. Mary, who worked hard in the Lord. Uh, Andronicus and Junia, who were outstanding apostles. Urbanus, who was a co-worker of Paul. Trophina and Tryphosa, who worked very hard in the Lord. Rufus' mom, who was like a mother to Paul. All of these people had found their place within the church, and they served faithfully, and it mattered to the work that they were doing. Now, think about Paul. He's like the most, you know, seemingly the most famous, important Christian at this point. He's 
changing the world by the power of God in his life. And yet he's looking at these people and saying, your work matters to what God is doing on the earth. That's a big, huge idea. You, what you do, what you choose not to do, it truly matters to the work that God wants to do in this world and the work that God wants to do in this church. I was just thinking about it today, having Michael back playing the keys up here, and he did that little song, seemed all fast, and I was like, man, it's just so good to have Michael back. Michael wasn't just sitting around. I mean, COVID kind of affected things, but uh, but like it mattered today as he was, pl- oh, you're right here. I didn't know where you went. It's like maybe he left. <laughs> he was done for the day, but uh, but it, it, it mattered, Michael, and, and I think that's true for every one of you who serves and for everyone of you who don't serve, like we're missing something because you don't serve. And I know, I just say this, just make it clear. The last year has been hard to give people things to do. And that's been uh, to the detriment of our church because a lot of people couldn't live out the things that they're called to do and, and the things they're passionate about. And so anyway, you need to serve. You need to serve this church. It matters. And the final thing. And this is where I want to kind of bring it all together. We have one more sermon on uh, this topic next week. But, but this word greetings, said it over and over and over again. And, and when I was first looking at, at this sermon series and thinking, what am I going to talk about for the last two chapters of the book of Romans? Because it's just a bunch of greetings. I looked this word up and uh, it's interesting because the Greek word that's greetings for us or greet It's this word that can be defined as to draw to oneself, hence, to embrace, salute, or greet. Now, I have no idea whether the etymology of this word was in Paul's mind as he wrote, greet, 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 because it's a standard greeting for these Greek-speaking people. But that definition, when I read it, I thought, that's really what this is all about, to draw to oneself, to draw other people to oneself. That is, in fact, the unifying theme of all of Romans 15 and 16, is to look at another person within your church and in whatever way to say, I want to bring you along with me. I want to connect to you in a deeper way. I want to serve alongside you. I want to minister to you. I want to invest in you. I want to help you. I, I, I'm going to bring you I'm going to bring you alongside of me as we, as we live and do this thing called church together, to draw to oneself. I wrote this line down as I, as I pondered this, and this line was really for me, uh, but I think maybe as an extension, it can be important for you. Paul viewed ministry as personal and not just as a platform. So many pastors today, and I don't want to be one of these, just want to be heard And here we have Paul looking at these people and greeting them and and basically saying, hey, you matter to me. I I want you to be noticed. I want to recognize you. I want to minister to you even from a distance, even through this letter. And and, and so this is how I wrote it down for you. I don't know if it makes any sense, but Paul viewed church as personal and not just private. Church is not just something we show up and do individually. It's, It's a it's a place where we have personal relationships. I know it's kind of a funny personal versus private, but it's a place where we have personal relationships. And then also, Paul views churches as not something that's just individual, but corporate. It's, it's something that we do together. We draw people to us. 
And I, I just thought about that. Like, what does that look like? Well, first, and this is, this is why the hello at the end, I think it is so important that we say hi to each other when we gather together. I think that in church, there is power in the word hello. How do I know this? Well, let me give you a negative example. I was just down at the annual meeting for our denomination. You saw me on the screen up here while I was there. But I, uh, I, I went to this meeting, and um, it's like a subgroup of our denomination. And the topic seemed interesting. And so I show up, and there's another meeting going on. And I felt like somebody trying to visit a church. Like, I have no idea what to do, and nobody's talking to me. Is the coffee free? There was pretty good coffee, but I didn't know if I was stealing it, you know? I did, but I didn't know if it was okay to have it. They were like finishing up breakfast. I'm like, am I in the right place? There's another guy there. He, in fact, oh man, I just thought about this right now. He spilled coffee on his shirt, said, I, got, I'm gonna, I have another shirt in the car. I'm gonna go get it and never came back. So it was all, I think maybe he was like me, like, this is weird. Like nobody's talking to me. So finally somebody comes out and like, hey, this meeting's almost done. You're in the right place. And then, and then you can come in after this or you can stand in the back right now. He said, he was very nice. So come in. I'm standing in the back. They're finishing up their meeting. And it felt like walking into a club that you were not a member of, basically. And, and I stood in the back, and then the meeting ends. I look around. I'm pretty outgoing. Been a part of church. So I, I can, you know, I don't really care that much. But I go and sit down. Nobody's saying a word to me, and I'm just sitting. And I'm, I look around at one point. There's not very, it's a small meeting. There's 10 people no, 11, let me rephrase that. There's five groups of two, and then there's my loser person, me, sitting in a table by myself thinking, oh, they're all in twos, like, like, what am I gonna do here? You can't just break in, what's up, Bob, you know? Like, I mean, what, what do you do? Nobody said hi to me for the longest time, sucking on that coffee. That's why you serve coffee at church for when it gets really uncomfortable. You can just act like you're doing something. It was so uncomfortable. And, and as I look at this, I mean, the power of hello in church is so important, right? Like, how different would that have been if somebody just walked up and said, hey, how you doing? And now they did eventually, and I, it ended up being a fine meeting. But it was so long. I think of that story I told last week where somebody that goes to our church said they visited in the very first time. And they've been here, you know, as long as I've been at this church. And, and they said, if nobody says hi to me, I'm never coming back. And one person walked up, said, hi, can I sit by you? And they've been here. It changed their life. Changed their life forever. All because somebody said hi. And I think there's so much power in saying hi. And not just saying hi in a, what's up, you know, from across the room, but really just saying hi because you deeply care about the other person. But I think it goes beyond that. I think to draw people to ourselves, uh, it takes like an effort to get to know somebody. That's kind of the next step, right? Like you say hello, but, but then like if we're doing what Paul's describing and demonstrating in this passage where he, I'll come back to that in a second, it's to like, it's like it requires an effort to actually get to know other people. Consider this. I know you just read through 16 verses, no big deal or whatever. Paul has never been to the church in Rome. And yet he calls out people, 28 people specifically. And I wonder, how many people's names can you say in our church? Paul's never been to this church, and he knows 28 people personally. And by the way, you might say, how is that possible? Well, it's probably because Paul, it might be, because there was 
the diaspora, which is that the Jewish people were kicked out of Rome, Christians and non-Christians alike. And many of these people may have gone and gone to places where Paul had established ministries already. That's just a theory, but that's one idea. But consider that. Paul has a short period of time with these people, and yet he's so connected to them that when he writes a letter to the church that they now go to, he's like, hey, let those people know I'm thinking of them. Could you do that? I think that's a huge part of this. I also think that it's inviting people, in some sense of the word, to, to like hang out and to other church activities is to bring people along with you. I think that's what it means to be a church that's truly greeting others. Invite them to be a part of your life, but invite them to, to do things at our church. We're not very good at this, I don't think, actually. I think this is one area where, where most of us, and it's probably that you're copying your leader. I'm not very good at this, and, and it trickles down, I've found. Everything I'm good at, we do pretty well. Everything I'm, except for music, we do that well. But everything else uh, that I'm, I'm bad at as a Christian, I feel like it becomes a part of us. And, and, and like this is one I just want to do better. Like, like we have the family night coming up. How good would it be for our church if you just, like on Wednesday or Tuesday before, you said just called somebody and said, hey, my family's going. You guys should come too. Let's hang out there. There's power in that. But even further than that, like Paul, did you notice how many times, probably not, he said the word beloved. This is the verb form of the word love in Greek. He's calling all these people beloved. It's deep, it's meaningful, it's caring. And he's using this word for all these people he has established deep, personal, loving relationships with these people. And he's never even gone to the church. And I think how much more in our church should we be developing passionate, spiritual, loving relationships with others? It's why we do small groups. It's why we do dinners back when we could do dinners. Because church isn't meant to be a place where you just sit and watch a sermon and some music. It's meant to be a place where you greet one another, where you enter into such relationship with each other that you're coming alongside and you're carrying each other's burdens and you're helping each other and you're praying for each other. But it takes it takes intent on your part. And what we often do in church is we think, those people should be reaching out to me and asking them, they should be inviting me to be a part of their life. But it's our job too. And then, man, Paul demonstrates this so clearly. Like it's demonstrated how good Paul was at this. In, in Acts 20, yeah, we, Paul's leaving a church in Ephesus, one of his key churches, and he's going to Jerusalem and he gives this big speech. And, and then we, he includes this line, like, I'm never going to see you again. And, and then in Acts 20, 36 through 38, it says, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. And then in Acts 21, this word greetings is used three times. Once actually when he's leaving, it says the word greeting. And the chapter starts with Paul and Tyree and then listen to what happens when he's leaving. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanying us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt down to pray. After saying goodbye, that's the word greetings, to each other, we went aboard the ship and they returned home. And then next, Paul's in Caesarea and this guy prophesies and says, Paul's going to Jerusalem, but he's going to end up in jail. And then in Acts 21, 12 and 13, we read, when all heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am not... I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. 
They weep when Paul's leaving. And this is a traveling preacher, but Paul is so connected to them that they weep when he's leaving. And here's what I would say to you. If you want people to weep when you leave a church, draw people to yourself while you're at it. I mean, I would hope, I would hope that when I leave this church, you would weep. And we've experienced some of that, right? And we've seen, we've seen people leave and, 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 and <laughs> we never think about them again, right? Like that's a, that's a common story in churches. But then there's other people who, who we, we bring up on the stage and we pray for them and you know, we're sad and we're hugging goodbye. And, and I'll tell you the difference. It's because those people have chosen to greet others. They've chosen to bring others alongside them. They've reached out. They've said hi. They've connected. They've served. They've been a part of this church. They haven't just shown up at it. I was sad while I was in Nashville for that meeting that I, I already mentioned. I didn't realize it was Joe and Nancy's last Sunday here, if you know Joe and Nancy. And now they're gone, and I'm actually sad about it that they're gone. I'm going to visit them in Boise at some point, so I'll see them again. But that's sad for me. But so many people can come and go, and they just, they never do this. They never act like Paul, and they never demonstrate what Paul is suggesting church should be like in this passage. There's not a single tear shed. Even at the end here, he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. This is the only command in this passage. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Kiss. Now, while it's the most famous part of this passage, if you've grown up in church, the holy kiss is the, uh, not the most important part of this passage. The most important part is, is this, greet each other. We must be drawing others to ourselves. I, it's, a, it's a problem in the American church today how many people go to churches, especially very large churches. They show up and they never talk to a single person. Even the little greeting time that I know makes some of you uncomfortable that we have at our church, that's being wiped out of churches today because it makes people uncomfortable. So there's not even a spot in the church service to turn around and say hi to somebody. That's going away. And so I would say that a majority a majority of people in America, their church experience is watching somebody preach a sermon and listening to some music. That is vastly different than what Paul commands of us here, which is to greet one another with a holy kiss. We must, whether it's by high or an invitation or getting to know people or investing in people, we must call people alongside of ourselves. That's what makes churches great. And I think that the holy kiss is actually a wonderful thing for Paul to say because because. It would be so weird to us, right? And, and that'd, be, that'd be crazy. But it demonstrates something. It demonstrates an intense connection between these people in Rome. I would say it this way. How many people in our church would you feel comfortable hugging? Now, I, some of you are like, I'm not a hugger. I'm not going to hug anybody. I don't have my wife, you know? Like, I mean, like, never going to happen, right? And I get that, but just go with me on this example. Like, how many people, let's say, if something tragic had happened in their life, would you feel comfortable hugging? How many people, if they got a brand new job and you were celebrating, would you feel comfortable hugging? Because I think when Paul commands us to greet one another with the holy kiss, he's saying, yeah, say hi to one another, invite people. But he's also demonstrating that we must be deeply 
unified, deeply connected with other people in our church, or else that would be just super weird, I feel like, right? Like if I walked up to a visitor and hugged them, would they ever come back? No, right? And some of you are newer at our church. Some of you have been around forever. For the newer people, like, yeah, we're, like, I get it. There's nobody here you would hug. But if you've been around a long time, are there people that it could just feel natural to hug? Or if you have some other form of greeting that, you know, when you really care about somebody, are there people that you could do that with? And if there's not, then, then, then greet. Like, call people alongside yourself so that there's some natural affection because you're intimately, spiritually connected to others. I, I just want to give two examples to finish about what I think it looks like to, to greet others. Um, the first is uh, Ray Beatty and a guy named John. Uh, I, I don't know if you know my story about kind of churches, but I'd gone to church my whole life. And, uh, and, and my last church that we were a part of, my last church I went to with my family, we, we were at that point just kind of show up, hang out Christians. Um, some of the family, two of them over there, uh, were more involved actively. But, but my participation there was one of just, just watch the sermon and listen to the music. I wasn't connected at all. And then this thing happened. I, I wanted to go out with this girl. She told me, no, you've heard this part of the story maybe. Uh, but she invited me to church and I showed up and, and man, so instantly I was greeted by everybody. And, and at that church, very widely, <laughs> people were just, just cared about me. It was always because I was Bethany's boyfriend. Um, like, that's how I was known. I know what my wife feels like when she's Chad's wife at this church. That's frequent for her, Bryn, to be Chad's wife. And I've experienced that. I was Bethany's boyfriend for about a year. Uh, but these people just embraced me. And where it really, where I saw it the most and what frankly changed my life, I told you earlier that I flew from Hawaii to San Diego. That girl had just broken up with me. I was going on a senior trip to Hawaii. I was depressed. I was heartbroken. I moaned and whined and sat in my hotel room in Hawaii. It was such a waste of a trip. And I was not going to go to San Diego because it was her youth group too. Not happening. Don't want to look at her. Don't want to talk to her. Don't want to think about it, right? I'm going to go be in my room and be depressed for the rest of my life. That's where I was at at 17 years old. And Ray Beatty and John say, we want you to be on this, we want you to be on this mission trip. We think it's so important for you. And I said, nah, I'm sorry, I, I, uh, I'm gonna be in Hawaii. They said, that's okay. Like, you don't have to ride the bus with us. You can fly directly. And I said, no, because I'm not gonna get there at the right time. The trip doesn't even line up. They said, we will drive from Southeast San Diego to the airport to pick you up. Like, no, like, I have baseball. And they're like, you got to work out baseball. You got to be here. They would not let it go. And so I did. I flew. I changed my ticket. I flew from Hawaii to San Diego. I landed. They lost my luggage. You don't want to be wearing the same shirt all week when you just got broken up with. It's not a good look. But they lost my luggage. And, and I don't know if it was Ray or John picked me up at that airport. And I got to lead Mikey and Marky to Jesus. And I am forever grateful that those two men just said, no, you're, you're coming with us. You're coming with us. I've seen it this year um, with two men in our church that uh, haven't been to church most of the year. Uh, I don't know if you guys know Wally and Roger, but man, Wally is, 
has been an encouragement to me and just prayed for me every time he's been at church. He just said, come over here, I'm going to pray for you. And, and Roger, I mean, he's, Roger has health problems. He hasn't been around, but he's watched every week. Hi, Roger. I know you're watching. Um, Roger's emailed me so much to say good sermon, to say, hey, this is how that sermon impacted my life. And man, sometimes this year, Roger, this is for you, ma'am. Like, nothing felt like it mattered. I've told you guys that. Just like, why are we doing this? And what happened to my life? That's how I felt most of the year. And there would be an email from Roger saying, hey, that sermon was important. It mattered. What do you think about this? It reminds me of this story. These people have just greeted me with their lives. And it's changed mine, I can tell you that. And if we're going to be a strong, good church, then it is imperative that we greet one another by our highs and our invitations and our getting to know each other and by our dragging other people on mission trips or to small groups or events or whatever it might be. I'm telling you, you can, you can change somebody's life by just inviting them to come along with you. So I hope you'll do that. Let me pray that we'll be a church that, that lives out Romans 16, 1 through 16.